times I need to ask you, how big is your God? I'm not trying to downplay the tough times. Are jobs being lost? Yes, absolutely. I have an article here from January 24th. It says that Churchill County's unemployment was 10.2% in December. It says that we were 9.1% for the year. It says that Nevada as a state was 13% for the year. And it even said that Lyon County, Fernley, right next door, Yarrington, was at 16.5%. It's a reality. Jobs are being lost. And I don't want to sound like Pollyanna and everything's going great, but I want you to know that our God is alive, and He's well, and He's in charge. Have homes been foreclosed upon? The answer is yes. Are budgets tight? Yes. Have possessions been lost? Probably. Some people have been selling things off. Some things have been repossessed. Are people in Fallon starving? I'm going to say probably not. There are times when there are hunger, hungry people. They miss a meal or two, but not the kind of starvation that I'm going to describe a little bit later in the message. Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 6.31, do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear pagans that is unbelievers run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first what food water and clothing no seek first his kingdom seek first his righteousness and then what these things food water and clothing will be given to you as well Notice that he says, given to you, not necessarily earned by you. Let's agree today, my brothers and sisters, that we must be dependent on God for even our basic needs. And then he will give us true riches. Have you thanked God today that the earth is spinning on its axis and we're not fried by the sun? Have you thanked him today that you have air to breathe? Have you thanked him today for the heartbeat that is continuing that you have nothing to do with? But what are these true riches? Well, how about having the privilege of being used by God to further his purposes in order to give him glory? If I say I worked hard, I saved money, and I retired with a good nest egg to carry me through, is there any glory for God in that? No. But if I say I trusted God and he took care of me and he gave me food, water and clothing, and much more than that, he allowed me to touch a child's life, perhaps through vacation Bible school, maybe through a good news club, maybe through serving in the nursery, maybe through helping in Sunday school, maybe through the Awana ministry or a backyard Bible club or, or even babysitting for a friend. Maybe you're helping with children's church. Maybe you're even volunteering with the Boy Scouts. I neglected to uh, introduce some visitors today. I appreciate some of the Scouts from the troop here. And, and Bobby and James Clifford and their mom are here today. And Eric Endicott and his dad and many, many other Scouts that attend. And, and i I got to be honest, I bribed them a little. I said, if you come and listen today, I'll give you a special uh, deal on this uh, God and Church Award that they're working on. <coughs> But it is. It's a privilege to serve. And that may be one of the true riches that God's talking about in Scripture. 
And I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to get involved. You have an opportunity today, right after church. You share the truth about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God, and that he came down from heaven in human form, that he lived a perfect life, that he laid down his life to take punishment for my sin and yours, that he rose from the grave and he conquered death and is alive today. What a privilege it is. And that if I place my trust in him, I too will have life everlasting. Now that is true riches. And God has entrusted you and I with that message for his glory. And so if I'm laid off from my job and I gripe and I complain and I curse the company, there's no glory for God in that. But if I'm laid off from my job and I still take time to thank my employer for the past work opportunities I've had there, and then I pray to God that He will direct me where I am supposed to go, will God so direct me? I think the answer to that is also yes. Many years ago, I was laid off from a job, and I was really upset about it. It was a week before I was supposed to be married. I was supposed to have this great honeymoon, and and God changed my direction, but it was for the good, and it was for His glory. And if I can praise Him and give Him glory as the one who directed me, using the layoff of guiding my path, then He is the one who deserves all the glory. I just received an email this last week from a friend of mine that I had gotten reacquainted with from my high school reunion last summer. He lives in California, and, and he had a good job as an engineer, but apparently he had been laid off, and I didn't even know this. And I got this email, and he must have blanketed it to everybody in his address book, and he says, praise God, I've got another job. And I wrote him back, and I said, isn't our God wonderful? Isn't he? All that was for introduction. In the next few minutes, I want to share with you two specific examples of God's faithfulness to his people in tough times. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are here today with each of us, that you are the one that is directing our path, that you are the one in control. Lord, may this message bring hope to people who perhaps have have forgotten you. And may we direct our eyes to you and not to our circumstances, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The first example I want to share with you is found in the story of Joseph. Now, the full account can be read in the book of Genesis, chapters 37 through 50. I'm not going to go through 13 chapters today, but I am going to give you a little Cliff Notes student version, and then I'm going to make some specific points about God's faithfulness. Now, Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Jacob had all these sons, and Jacob was later renamed Israel, and that's where we get the name Israel today. He was the, Joseph was the second to the last son of Jacob. And Joseph was one of the 12 tribes. You don't see his name on the maps, though. When you look in the back of your Bible and you're seeing Reuben and Judah and Zebulon and Naphtali and all these names in there, you don't see Joseph. Well, the reason is because Joseph had two sons, and his two sons inherited half-tribe allotments of the land. So that's why we don't see his name on the maps. But now, when Joseph was 17 years old, and being the second to the last son, he was abducted by his own brothers and sold into slavery. How can that be? How can a loving God allow such a thing to happen? 
Well, the reason was that in God's sovereignty, God allowed Joseph to be uprooted and physically moved away many, many miles away in Egypt. Joseph was dearly loved by his father. And when his father was told a lie by Joseph's brothers that Joseph was killed by wild animals, Jacob wept and he mourned for his lost son. Well, students, some of you here today are 17 or near to it. Take a moment and reflect what it must have been like for Joseph. It wasn't easy. He could have been bitter. He could have been angry. He could have chosen to, to you know, blame God for his circumstances, but he didn't. Parents, take a moment and reflect what life was like for Jacob. He could have been very bitter. But the fact is that when Joseph, through God's intervention and guidance, he was able to make the best of a bad situation. And he served his new master well. The master's name was Potiphar. So well, in fact, that Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. Joseph did well. Things were going along fine, however, until the master's wife decided that she wanted to have an affair with Joseph. And she approached him. Joseph didn't want any part of it. He resisted her. And as a result of her advances and and his resistance, he was framed and thrown into prison. He didn't commit any crime. So you're asking again, where is God during all of this? How could God allow it to happen? Because God had a plan for Joseph. And God has a plan for you. And he has a plan for me. Be sure of this, believer. God has a plan for everything. Sometimes when we're in the middle of a trial, we don't see it. Joseph's in prison and he's there with some men who are having recurring dreams that are bothering them. Joseph, by God's divine providence, is able to correctly interpret their dreams. This incident was later recalled by one of the men who was the cupbearer to the Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh started having a recurring dream, the cupbearer remembered that and he said, Get Joseph, he knows how to interpret that. Joseph was given special grace by God. And because God enabled Joseph to correctly interpret the Pharaoh's dream, Joseph was greatly honored to the point where he was elevated to the second command of all of Egypt. Now this reminds me of another passage in Matthew where Jesus is describing a parable about a faithful and unfaithful servant. And in this parable, he praises the faithful servant who is entrusted with some of the master's property and was later praised for doubling his investment. Matthew 25:21 is recorded as Jesus saying this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And that is exactly the way jo- the Lord used Joseph for his glory. The first point in your outline this morning, for those of you that are taking notes, is that God is faithful to reward us. God is faithful to reward us. Not necessarily always a physical reward or a financial reward. Sometimes the reward is the privilege of being used by him again to touch someone's life. And it's for, to further his kingdom and his purposes. Just as Joseph was faithful to his first earthly master, just as Joseph was faithful even while he was in prison, just as Joseph was faithful to Pharaoh, in reality, through all these circumstances, it was God who was faithful to Joseph and the nation of Israel as a whole. But God wasn't through with Joseph yet. Here is an account from Genesis chapter 41, 
verses 38 through 44. Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of the gods? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, and there is no one so discerning and wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people, and they are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way! Then he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Wow. Pretty good for a slave, huh? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 states this. Honor the Lord with your wealth from the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. How are we doing here today, brothers and sisters? How are you doing with honoring the Lord with your wealth? Pharaoh was a pagan ruler, but God gave him special grace to recognize that he needed Joseph to run his kingdom. And because of this God-given wisdom, both the nations of Egypt and Israel were spared from starvation through a severe famine that struck the land. Let's turn to the New Testament again and look at a familiar passage from Luke chapter 16. Verses 10 through 13 say this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, some of your translations might say unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you with true riches? There's that phrase again, true riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's not saying that money in itself is evil. It's saying if you serve it, that that is your master. So how does this business of honesty reflect on Joseph? How bad were the circumstances in Egypt and the nearby nations? Joseph didn't own any property. He was only a steward of another's property. And yet he fulfilled God's plan. Now this is how bad it was. Genesis 41, 54 through 57 says, And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all of Egypt began to feel the famine, the people began to cry to Pharaoh for food. And Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. By the way, point number two in your outline. Sorry, I skipped that from Luke 16. God is faithful to remind us. He is faithful to remind us. So God used all this occasion with Joseph to bring glory to himself, not only through the physical provision of food, but through the reuniting of Joseph's family. A couple of chapters later in Genesis 43, the famine was still severe, and Joseph was able to convince his family through his brothers to bring his father to Egypt. 
And they packed up and left Canaan, and they brought all their possessions and came to live in Egypt. And there's a great story there of forgiveness and reuniting, and I urge you to read it. I'm going to transition to point number three. Point number three is going to deal with some kings. I told you there was two parts to my story. One was Joseph. The second one is Hezekiah. But before we get to Hezekiah, we need to understand that these kings of Israel were mostly wicked. There was, they were far and few between that there were good kings in Israel. And so chapters verses, 2 Kings chapters 6 through 17 record a lot of nasty kings. They record a lot of wickedness. There were famines that were so severe that they make the Egyptian famine look like a 24-hour fast before taking your blood test. In 2 Kings chapter 6, that famine is described that is so severe that a donkey's head would sell for the price of two pounds of silver. Now, in today's dollars, that's about six to $800. Can you imagine paying six or $800 for a donkey's head to eat? Assuming you had the six or $800 to begin with and could spare it. There was, a, there was a real bad section in there, too, that talked about a couple of women who, who had to use their children for food, and that's really sad. But God had messengers and prophets in operation in all those days. If you go through those books of Second Kings, you'll see that there was, you know, Elijah, Elisha. We have uh, later on in Second Kings, I'm going to talk a little bit about Isaiah here in a while. 2 Kings 17, 22 through 23 puts it this way. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he had warned through all his servants the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria. Uh, point number three in your outline is God is faithful to rebuke us. Sometimes we need to be rebuked for our sins, don't we? Do you ever ignore God? Do you ever outright rebel against His teaching? Have you ever procrastinated reading His Word because even though you needed the advice, you knew that what He was going to tell you ahead of time and you didn't want to follow it, so He said, I'm just not going to read it? I've done that before. Maybe you're afraid God would ask you to do something you didn't want to do. Maybe you were just being stubborn about wanting your own way. God does speak to us today, just as He spoke to the children of Israel. The question is, are we listening? I want to share with you a quick example from my own life, and I, I wrestled with God about whether to share this or not. Most of you know that um, my wife and I have four lovely daughters, and they are beautiful young ladies, and I'm very happy about them. They love the Lord. So I'm going to share a little story with you, though, that I'm, I'm going to try to put a little humorous spin on it, but it's really not humorous. I never got a son. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend for just a moment that this guy right here is my son, okay? This is Porky Potbelly, and I love my son. My son comes to me all the time and says, can I have another donut? And I said, sure, take two. Can I have another helping, please? Yeah, sure, there's plenty. Indulge yourself, you know? And I nurtured my son. And this has been going on for years. My son is, is past his teenage years. My son is grown. It's time for him to leave the house. But the problem is I spoiled him so bad that he can't survive without me. He's dependent on me. 
So what he needs is some discipline in his life. Now, I could probably get somebody like R.J. Thomas or Will Mayberry or one of these guys to come and, and help my son learn some discipline. But the fact is, there's somebody that's even better, and his name is Jesus. You know, when Moses took the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, one of them didn't say, don't be gluttonous. But there are plenty of Proverbs and other scriptures that clearly talk about gluttony being a sin. And in America, we tend to ignore that, and we think it's funny, and you know, but it's really not. And God's been convicting me a lot about this lately, and I'm doing something about it. I'm turning it over to the drill sergeant. And that drill sergeant's name is Jesus. And I said to my son, this is Jesus. And he's going to take you somewhere, and you're to follow him, and you're to submit to him, and you're going to learn discipline. You see, there's a cross way over there. See that on the hill? Son, you're to run. You're to run fast. Burn off that excess and head for that cross. And if you can't run, walk. And if you can't walk, crawl. And Jesus is going to be right there beside you, taking you through it. Because I can't do it. So it's up to him. I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's start with verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? You know, in raising my daughters, I realize how much encouragement they need. They need dad to come along, put an arm around them and say, you're doing good. I'm so proud of you. And you know, our sons need that too. But sometimes our sons need a little extra. They need a little kick from dad. And sometimes it might even be physical. It might be like that movie where, uh, you know, in Facing the Giants, where that uh, football player is just, you know, apathetic and he can't get the job done and his coach makes him go blindfolded and carry a man on his back down the field on all fours. And the coach is right there in his ear and he's saying, come on, give me more, but my legs are burning. And he said, no, give me more. And he's in his face the whole way, but he's doing it in a way that is motivating. And men need different motivation than women. Sometimes the sins that we are committing aren't so outward as porky pot belly. Have any of you experienced credit card debt? Are you indulging that son in your life? Any of you um, had problems with gambling? Any of you had problems with tobacco or alcohol or some other thing that has you in a vice? We all have things that we face and we need to deal with them. And Jesus is the one who can deal with them. All right, I'm running out of time. I'm going to have to go through this second example pretty quick. Let's turn to 2 Kings again. We're going to talk about Hezekiah. He starts in chapter 18. And he did listen to God, and he did obey God. And with the help of Isaiah the prophet, 
coaching him and helping him through God's intervention. Now, his story is found in chapters 18 through 20, and it's also recounted in Isaiah chapters 36 through 39. He was 25 years old when he became king of Israel, pretty young for that kind of responsibility. And he reigned for 29 years, a very long time in those days. The reason was that God gave him special grace to trust in God and to follow God and to obey God. And Hezekiah restored the proper worship of God. And he destroyed the false gods. He got rid of those idols. Second Kings 18.3 says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, the northern tribes had already been enslaved. They'd already been conquered. We're talking about Judah here in the southern part of Israel. <clears throat> After 14 years of peaceful rule, the Assyrians were mustering forces, and they were getting ready to, to take over the southern part of Israel. And their ruler of the Assyrians was a bloodthirsty leader named Sennacherib. And in chapter 18, it's recorded that he sent a message by way of his field commander to Hezekiah, taunting him and falsely stating that Israel's own God had sent him to destroy Judah. He went on to taunt the men guarding the walls of the city in their own language and telling them, God won't protect you. Well, in chapter 19, Sennacherib found him further taunts God, even as Hezekiah is in sackcloth and ashes and praying to God to save them. Point number four in your outline, God is faithful to rescue us or redeem us. Maybe you could put the word redeem in there, rescue or redeem. In 2 Kings 19, 6 through 7, it says this, Isaiah said, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with a sword. Well, that very prophecy is fulfilled a few verses later, starting in verse 35. And it says there, that, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up in the morning, there were all the bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and he withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, cut him down with a sword and escaped to the land of Ararat. And Eshard and his son succeeded him as king of Assyria. I want to end by encouraging you with some special words direct from God himself as recorded by Isaiah in a few chapters later. You know, if you've never read that book, brothers and sisters, take time to read it. It is so encouraging. I know it's a long book, but it's like the Gospel of John of the Old Testament. It's just outstanding. And all these words that I'm going to share with you were written by Isaiah 700 years before Christ came to the earth. Point number five is that God is faithful to give us true riches, and that is himself. He gave us his son. Our God was so big that we couldn't comprehend him. He was bigger than the world around us, so he sent his own son in human flesh so that we could understand him better and we could get to know him and we could relate to him. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. 43.3, for fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. 
43:10 and 11. Before me no god was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no savior. Isaiah 43:15. I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. 43:25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. 44.6, I am the first and the last, and apart from me there is no God. 44.8, you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. Who are his witnesses today, brothers and sisters, if not us? Speaking of witnesses, I want to share something with you real fast. Most of you know Dave Wooth. A while back, a year or two ago, he had some foster children, Trinity and Aaron. He prayed for those people. He ministered to them. He shared faithfully with them. And eventually they were returned. And it was hard on Dave. Well, he got the good news this week that those two young people are being baptized today. And their mother is being baptized with them. And so that's why Dave isn't here right now. They're being baptized over at Rock of Ages Baptist Church. Their service started at 11, and they'll probably still be going. And, and for those of you who knew those, those kids pretty well, I'd encourage you to get over there. It's right off of Lucas Road. You go down the Reno Highway, turn right on Lucas, a couple blocks across the track that's on the left. They are witnesses for him today. And maybe God's calling you to be baptized and be his witness. You don't have to be baptized to be his witness. That's just one of the ways. Let me go on. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. Isaiah 45, 18. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens. He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 45, 19. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Isaiah 45:21 through 24. I'm almost done. There is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear and they will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. As the musicians come for our final song, I want to share with you one last verse, and this one isn't in your outline if you want to jot down the reference. It's Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, your God reigns.